You're listening to And what is poppin'? It is Thursday, June the 2nd, 2022. You're listening to episode 107 of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Jude. Thank God May is over, y'all. What a shitty-ass May. It was bad. Yeah. Lots of stuff happened during what should have been a month of celebration. I guess we did still celebrate our Asian heritage, but at the same time, yeah, lots it was of stuff. Bad. We had bigger fish to fry, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was bad. But thank God it's over. I mean, oh, May is over. At least we don't. there's not that added pressure of like... <laughs> doing extra shit and going out. Now we could just focus on the, you know, demise of our current society. Yeah. As a professional Asian American, you have to deal with your professional Asian American duties in addition to your uh, American army. Like human despair? <laughs> yeah. It was not great. Ooh. Well, But she made it through the other side. Congratulations. Cheers, Thank everybody. you. Thank you. <laughs> Also joining us, also surviving um, the month of May, uh, professional culture editor Han Win. Hey, hey Han, we did it. We did it. <laughs> she said meekly. <laughs> yeah, just now, half-heartedly. Han has made it through Asian month. Now she's into LGBTQ month. month. Yeah, Woo! Pride. Hey, Pride month kicks off with a great Asian American property. That's true. Which, Fire Island. Which so, I'm very excited yeah. to see for the first time this Friday. Yeah. Kicking it off with a bang. All right. Well, since it is the end of the month, it's time once again for our monthly Asian American Entertainment News Roundup. Um, do we want this? But before we get to the news of the month, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through the week. Uh, Jess, what's popping? <laughs> so I finally, uh, so Han and I ventured out to a real movie theater, an IMAX Dolby Cinema Theater, this past weekend to watch Top Gun Maverick, a <laughs> movie I have been anxiously awaiting since 2020. And wow, did it deliver. I have thought about that movie every single day since I've watched it. And I've just been like, wow, Tom Cruise, he really did it. He's so evil, but he really did it <laughs> selling the soul worked selling his soul worked um if you love top gun one which i do it is that rare thing in hollywood where the joke about hollywood is that they want everybody wants the same but different and that is what top gun maverick delivers it's the same but different but better like bigger but in a way that makes sense and <laughs> My only critique is like it's not as gay as the original, mm-hmm. which is a shame. Because I also just rewatched the original for Shiggles. It's like leaving Netflix today, and I'm like, wow, the, this original one was super, super like I mean, charged with homosexual energy. But if they did that, it would have been too on the nose, right? If they did it on purpose, because the first one was very point, unintentional. In its yes, I think right? at that point it would have been like two, like two people have been too self-aware and therefore eliminated the, the campness of it all. But, you know, it, it's there's some like big I won't spoil the movie, but there are some really great action set pieces. I'm just like, damn, how the 
Mm-hmm. How the fuck did you do that? How the fuck did you pull this off? And I've been reading all these articles about all the crazy shit he made. All these <laughs> people are treating Tom Cruise like he is the admiral of the Navy. <laughs> like he put them through training. Da, da, da. And like, and very clear, none of them flew the planes because legally the government does not allow anyone to a civilian to pilot an F 18. But apparently they like had to train to make it look like they were flying it. And they would literally just like, have to actually film with these stunts and like feel these G forces mm. and but still act and they're like, we had to do all that and still look cool. I was like, and like apparently the Tom Cruise school was like teaching them how to do that. Yep. That <laughs> and is wow, a does it work? Does it work? Also, Jennifer Connolly, radiant, looks beautiful in this. Um, yeah, everyone looks really good. Yeah. I don't know if we're actually going to talk about this movie on this podcast in depth, but I do want to ask um, oh. how much shredding 80s guitar is in this <laughs> film? Because that is like not half of that what... much, not that much. Mm. So they, you know, the first five minutes is almost like a shot for shot remake of the first one. It's like getting everyone comfortable and being like, we know what you want. We know what you came for. We're back, baby. We're going to deliver. and But, you know, we're not in the 80s anymore. So they don't quite have the same, like, synthy vibes. Um, I will say the soundtrack is probably not as remem- memorable as the first one. But I also think that in the first Top Gun, the soundtrack was memorable because it was so anachronistic. Like, like the, the most unbelievable part about Top Gun, the first movie, is that everyone in that bar knows the lyrics to Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis. No one knows. Why? Why? Is that a Navy thing? Maybe. I don't know. So, yeah, music and some of the, like, unintentional comedy, not quite there. But, like, made up for with the insane set pieces, the caliber of, like, the technology that they can shoot with now. And we got some dope-ass dogfight scenes. Mm. All right. I have one more question, which is super mm-hmm. important, um, because when they originally announced that they were making Top Gun Maverick, Asian American media made a big deal about oh. all of the Asian American faces that are going to be in this film, including Manny Jacinto. Mm-hmm. So um, how mm-hmm. much Manny do we get to see? You get no, none of them. You how get much none Cara? Of them. Basically, none? none, none. They're all extras, but they did go through all the flight school training. My guess is just that, you know, they got to fuck. The whole setup that he got us to pick a certain amount. It's we're not going to get to know twelve people in a two-hour movie. Um, you know, it's. Do I wish Manny was like at least one of the RIOs in one of the scenes? Yes, um, but so who did they pick to focus on instead of Manny? Jay Ellis, aka Lawrence from Insecure. Like I get that. Uh, we get Monica Barcero, who was like the only female pilot. In the class, like you know, we got you're not gonna bring in a woman and like sideline her in in the storyline. Uh, we have Miles Teller. Miles Teller, obviously, he's gonna be Glenn Howell. Um, you know, mm-hmm. th- we knew those guys were like the main characters, and then Danny Ramirez, who plays fanboy, fanboy, fanboy. Okay. Payback was Jay Ellis, yeah, and then Bob, who is who's son of Bill Pullman's son, Bill yeah, Pullman's son, yeah. Yeah. More, more for him. Hmm. We need more Bob. But yeah, so like, would it have been better with Manny Jacinto? Yes. 
It's basically only if you knew to look for him do you actually see him. <laughs> yeah. Because they he- get like they appear on screen. They get they're like you don't remember their names, but also like I don't remember the other three non-Asian people's names mm-hmm. of the other six that don't get selected either. Yeah. So I'm like they don't oh. really. I think uh-huh. I, I I'm still gonna feel a little salty about that. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, I'll probably watch it at some point. You should watch it. It's great. <laughs> All right, uh, Han, what's popping? All right, so inspired by Chippendale Rescue Rangers um, and meeting Ugly Sonic, I was just like, huh, I never watched the actual Unugly Sonic. Um, and we're already on the second movie in theaters. So uh, since I happen to have Paramount Plus, I was able to watch both of them Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. If for some reason you don't have that, I think Amazon has the first movie and then you'd have to see it in theaters. But um, first one was totally charming. I completely understand why people were down for it. I also, you know, was thinking that because they had to redo Sonic, it's probably even older than we think it is. Um, so when you look at people like James Marston and then um, uh, Jim Carrey, and then you watch the movies back to back, all of a sudden you're like, wow, you're way older in this second movie <laughs> because the, yeah, it was probably maybe five plus years yeah, between them. animated movies. Mm-hmm. With reshoots of the, of, or, or redoing the character. Yeah, that took a while. So, uh, so that was interesting. Um, uh, second movie, I think kind of, it, it faltered a bit because in a way it was very marvelly in that it got a bit too big for its britches. By the time they got to like the big, you know, fights and finishes and stuff like that, I was kind of like tuning out. Uh, what I did like about the second movie, though, well, so the first movie, it's like almost like a buddy movie. And so I love Sonic and James Marston. They just hang out and they even have a bar fight together. It's very, very cute and charming. <laughs> but here... They treat him like he, they actually call him their child. So I was like, why is he a kid now? Um, and uh, there's a sort of almost like a separate storyline where um, so he's doing his own thing. And maybe that was because of COVID stuff. But uh, they also introduced Tails and Knuckles. Now, I got to tell you about Knuckles, who not only do I find his design very cute. He's a red echidna, in case you haven't like played the game but the voice is also Idris Elba and that yeah that was that was very confusing to me because he's very sexy sounding <laughs> sorry, sorry do you do did you really get the uh deep immense work that Idris Elba did <laughs> yes. for this Knuckles character did you feel that yes it was weird but yes um was it British Idris Elba or like Stringer Bell Idris Elba I think he was British. Actually, I don't remember. She was, was so she was so shooketh by the sexy yeah. red echidna. The voice was really good. Like, cause at, as soon as I heard it, I was like, "Who is that?" And looked oh, it up. No. And I was like, oh, it wake, awakened something in Han. Oh God! Oh well, no! It was very yeah, much how furry star. Well, that's the thing. It's like it's not like I looked at Knuckles and was turned on by Knuckles. So that's sort of like with when it came to Ducktales when it was redone. Because David Tennant was Scrooge. And oh, I was like, that's awkward. Yeah, that was just oh. like, oh, I'm getting very confused now listening to him. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I, I understand. <laughs> so, Knuckles, very good voice. I like his design. Not not thirsting after Knuckles, though, but it was very weird. Um, oh, but are you? <laughs> I, you know. No, no judgment, Han. I think, I think, you know, I think 
Bambi's dad is pretty hot. <laughs> so, yeah. Know. So anyway, uh, so that was weird. And then um, I do have to say, I think Jim Carrey in the first movie was so good. And the second movie, I think, um, because he's he's a great physical comedian. And I think in the second movie, he still gets to do his thing, but they give him a lot more yuck, yuck, um, sort of like one-liners. And I don't think that played quite as well for me. Uh, so anyway, it, but overall, still fun. Probably shouldn't try to watch all of it at once. The second movie is <laughs> second movie is like two hours. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's too long for a kid's movie. So it wasn't like a Paddington 2 level of like sequel. No, no, no. It was the opposite. I think I prefer the first one. And and because when I compare it to Marvel, they did have a mid credit sequence and setting up for a possible sequel. So I'm just like, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, I mean, Sonic is popular. They're going to milk that as much as they can because they can, you know, that you know, Sonic sells Sonic dolls. Oh, for sure. Because in my buy nothing group, people were talking about like, here are the Sonic uh Happy Meal toys I'm missing. And so they were all trying to like <laughs> help each other out because I'm in a buy nothing group with tons of parents. Um, so that's what actually reminded me of like, oh, yeah, it's in theaters now. So I don't know. I I, I, I would like it to end. <laughs> like, I think this was enough. But now I feel obligated to check out number three. Hopefully oh. they kind of bring it back. And you got to <laughs> play all the games now. All, all the Sonics and the Genesis I used to play Sonic, but also I'm, my hand-eye coordination isn't that great. So most of the time, I just watch my brothers play Sonic. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm good enough with that. So yeah. anyway, so that was me. What's popping with you, Marvin? All right. So stop me if you heard this before. But a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away, a monastic order of space cops decided <laughs> to fight in a galactic civil war and end up getting hoisted on their own petard when they inadvertently allowed the rising of a fascist government to take over the galaxy. I'm, of course, referring to Star Wars, specifically the prequels, because what's popping for me this week is the new Disney Plus Star Wars limited series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, Jess Han, have you caught um, Obi-Wan yet? Not yet. Mm. Oddly enough, waiting. yeah, oddly enough, I also didn't watch it yet either, but now I feel super behind. So, <laughs> Well, good thing is only two episodes are out so far. They're, mm-hmm. they're releasing weekly, and I believe it's a six-episode series. Yeah, six only. So I need to catch up. But I'm really enjoying it so far. Uh, the story follows Obi-Wan, of course, uh, taking place 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, after he left his brother Anakin to die on that lava planet. We catch up with Obi-Wan um, living in exile, um, watching over a young Luke Skywalker on Tatooine. Um, yes, we are back on Tatooine, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. All roads lead to Tatooine, Marvin. I think the the sooner you accept that, the less heartbreak you will face. <laughs> well, uh, the first episode follows Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Ewan McGregor, as he lives in hiding in Tatooine and his day-to-day routine of um, working as, I guess, a space desert butcher. That's hot. That's hot. We like uh, we like a man who can handle his meat. <laughs> <laughs> but the good news is we don't spend long on tattooing because um, and I guess we're going to a little bit of spoilers here. But I don't know how much you guys have heard of the plot of Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, someone set it up for me. So yes, I had heard of a particular character that I've only kind of heard of like the the stupid things about like the stupid fans <laughs> um, because I guess apparently anytime you like focus on not a white guy they get really mad mm. oh um, okay. no so, I heard about I heard about that but what I meant was I heard about another character who's coming yeah who, who um, comes back yeah so. I don't know how uh, 
See, I don't want to spoil it for you. Can spoil it's fine. It's not gonna ruin the journey for me. That's the thing. I don't care. We know what happens, my dude. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So, all right. Well, um, they did a pretty good job hiding this in the trailers, but um, contrary to what you might think, the story isn't actually about Obi Wan Kenobi protecting Luke Skywalker on Tatooine. Um, The main plot so far has been about Obi-Wan Kenobi being pulled out of exile to help rescue a young Princess Leia from a kidnapping, which turns out to be a trap laid by the Inquisitors, which are the Jedi hunters working under Darth Vader, um, to lure him out of hiding. So yeah, fair warning, Jess. There are children in your Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you for that warning, Marvin. I like Leia though, so yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious because of course they do need to set up that relationship because she does. She turn knows to, him. She yeah. knows him. Yeah, she does turn to him. He's her only hope. only hope. Yeah, at one point, that's kind of how the whole thing starts. Guys. <laughs> yes, she is a little precocious, but then I guess that's just her character, anyways. Um, but what I, I you're do... telling me a ten year old Princess Leia wouldn't be fucking precocious? She's like a <laughs> senator and rebel leader at like nineteen. Come on, while well, Luke was being a little bitch <laughs> on a desert planet. Sorry, I still stand by the fact that if Leia was like just the chosen one, there would be one Star Wars movie. That's true. And there is a choice like line movie. by um, Jimmy Smith, who reprises his role as Bail Organa, mm-hmm. when he's arguing with Obi Wan, and he says, "Quote." Princess Leia is just as important as Luke. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love Jimmy Schmitz. I love any time we get to see him. Do you think we could turn it, now that he's in this world again, into a musical? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think we can get like an In the Heights Star Wars mashup now? I mean, you got to get, um, you got to replace Deborah Child with Lynn manuel I mean, he already wrote like the Star Wars jizz music, right? <laughs> <laughs> for the new, for the new trilogy. Did he? Yeah, it's called Jizz. I'm not making this up. Um, I do want to call out that there were two, I guess, Asian cameos of mm-hmm. note, in addition to Sun Kang as the third brother or the fifth brother, third or fifth. One of those. Um, <laughs> one of the Boscos shows up as random bartender who gets threatened by uh, the Inquisitor, um, Derek Bosco. And also Kumail Nanjiani shows up as a con man pretending to be a Jedi. Hey. And he pretty much just plays a Kumail Nanjiani character <laughs> in space mm-hmm. but yeah um i'm having a good time so far um it's a good start i'm already way more invested with these first two episodes than i was for the entire run of book of boba fett um i guess it helps that you have an established character who we're already emotionally invested in um i'm glad that we're exploring new cities um the second episode gives us like the noir detective obi-wan kenobi which is pretty much my favorite obi-wan kenobi is the one that we got in attack of the clones when he was investigating count dooku and it looks like we're headed towards a showdown with darth vader who actually appears in the last seconds of the second episode okay (laughs) Mm, do you like my shirt oh yeah i do (laughs) i'm wearing an anakin skywalker shirt i love him (laughs) appropriate uh, but yeah, looking forward to what you think, um, because there's plenty of you and McGregor, but no, no Hayden yet. I mean, I guess we won't see his face unless it's like we get some flashbacks, right? Because he's just going to be like Vadery. It's going to be all fun. scarred. I'm happy for Hayden Christensen. Oh, that's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, before we get to do we want this? Um, let's check in once again with Go Asian, our podcast within the podcast where we follow the latest season of Top Chef. Um, this last episode is episode one of the finale taking place at the culinary wonderland known as Tucson, Arizona, uh, which we just, but I guess, you know, there's interesting stuff happening there. Um, lots of great Southwestern cooking. 
I mean, it looked pretty good what they made. So um, four chefs left. We have Buddha, Evelyn, Damar, and Sarah. And for the quick fire, they have a carne seca challenge, which is like a, I guess, a Mexican jerky or spice mm-hmm. jerky. Uh, in which uh, Sarah actually wins. Yeah. Well, what I thought was interesting about it was it's a jerky, but they also prepare it in such a way that it looks like meat floss, uh, which I think a, a lot of us Asians have a form <laughs> of that in in their cuisine. And so I was looking at it, I was like, yeah, that looks like the pork floss that like I would eat all the time. My mom would make and my grandma would make. And so I was just curious like what they did with it because – with us, we just used it as like a topping for like uh, congee and um, or we would make some sort of like a packed rice and we'd put that on top of it. So it, it stayed dry. But here they reconstitute it with like other vegetables and stuff like that. So I thought that was interesting um, and it would give extra flavor that way. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was pretty fascinating. I have never had carne seca. Um, so now I'm curious like where i can get it yeah we should go to uh we should go to tucson Tucson. check it out (laughs) tucson it's not that far guys we can road trip (laughs) yeah as long as we don't stay at the haunted hotel (laughs) Mm. all right and then for the elimination challenge the chefs had to make two dishes based on um two local specialties um cactus and chiltepin which is Mm -hmm. um their indigenous peppers and the winner this time was Evelyn, um, who made a nopal relleno. Relleno. And a sweet and sour lime curd. Um, I kind of, doesn't it feel like Evelyn kind of has like a, an advantage. advantage throughout this entire season because they did so many Mexican challenges? I mean, possibly, but the thing is, she didn't win all of them. So that's what I yeah. thought was interesting. Mm. She also doesn't cook Mexican food. Right. She often does like Southeast Asian um, flavors too. Uh, and, this and she she pointed out herself. She's like everyone then expects me, but like I can't get complacent, right? <laughs> this That's one true. for for sure, she did pull on that, but I think her preparations definitely went beyond um, what she's used to doing using those ingredients. So yeah, I was like, yeah, she she elevated it, so I was like cool with it. Um, yeah, I guess I just I was like, this is like the second to last challenge, and she gets ingredients that at least she's familiar with and i feel like the other three um yeah. granted you should have done some research if you knew you're going to tucson to see like what buddha the right were, buddha's right? like i've been studying the food <laughs> yeah. i was like i respect that that's effort absolutely it's playing yeah. it smart as soon as you find out you're going to tucson you do your research um which yeah. is why i do believe his his first dish looked amazing he made a version of tom yum mm. um so, and all the flavors he's kind of translated out, but he also still used all the local ingredients. Um, instead of the regular chili peppers, he used the chiltepin. I don't know. It sounded amazing to me. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah uh, I mean, I wasn't worried about Buddha because he has always shown great flexibility. He's able to quickly mm-hmm. create links between what he's tasting and what he wants to make, which yeah. is what you need. Um, but on the other hand, the, the chef eliminated from the final was Damar. Which is a bummer, but he has always been kind of shaky, right, during these challenges, especially when he's dealing with stuff that he's not familiar with. Yeah, he he definitely expressed the most doubt throughout the whole episode with every ingredient, um, and it was it was in such a way that I was just like, couldn't you just pull on what you know? Because, for example, Sarah, you know, probably hadn't worked with 
carne seca before, but she's like, oh, I treated it like it was jerky. And so she drew on all of her like hunting and local, you know, flora and fauna recipes, I guess, and delivered it in a really interesting dish. Like I begrudgingly give her all her props, you know, (laughs) for her creativity and like how she puts things together. So with me, I was just like, I think that's kind of the challenge. Just kind of same with like, Buddha. So I don't know. Yeah, we can hate on Sarah for being just like unremarkable as a person, but that's only because we haven't seen her half the season. But she did. No, she's annoying. She's very like, <laughs> oh, like I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, okay, I'm just a girl. Like, own it or like stop. Personality-wise, she just irritates me. But I have to give her credit. Like, all a lot of these things that she's produced in the past two episodes sound amazing. So. She also survived like what eight rounds of Last Chance Kitchen, so girl can cook is, under pressure. So. Yeah, which is a feat that has only like only few other people have been able to do. So yeah, yeah. so we have our final three. Um, it's a three person final this year. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three. This year they went with the three. So we have Buddha, Evelyn, and Sarah. Which that's a pretty interesting combination. These three chefs that kind of all have different styles, which is what you kind of want to see in a finale. And while you know, I'm definitely rooting for at least two of them. I wouldn't be mad if the third one won, which is different <laughs> from other. Which seasons. third one? <laughs> which one are you talking about? I I do have to say I kind of wish the third position went to Nick or Damar. Um, mm, that would have so. been better. Yeah. There's no Nicks in this crew. There's no um, no Gabe's. Gabe's, right? Right, 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 right. There's no Gabe's. I hope there's no Gabe's. No. Don't be a Gabe, Buddha. I'm trusting you. I'm believing in you. Um, Once again, I want to say, Go Asian has lasted the entire season of Top Chef. We have not once had to call on the unofficial house rule that once all the Asians are gone, we stop the season. Um, Yeah. Which... Just goes to show why Top Chef is one of our favorite reality TV shows. All right. We'll be back next week to recap the finale of Top Chef Houston. Um, but that's what's popping for this week. When we come back, we ask ourselves if we want this. Stick around. Podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week, we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. We are at the end of May and the beginning of June, which means it's time once again to ask yourselves, do we want this as we check out the latest Asian American entertainment news? So, um, yeah, let's get started. Jess, what's our first story? Our first story in the multiverse of Crazy Rich or MCU Cinematic Universe, <laughs> the Crazy Rich Asian Cinematic Universe, they've just announced a spinoff feature featuring Astrid and Charlie has, is now in the works. Astrid played by Gemma Chan and Charlie played very briefly in a cameo uh, by... Harry Shum Jr. at the 
credit scene of Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> so, and it's going to be penned by Jason Kim, who is a writer on Barry, uh, the HBO show. Interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> but do we want this? Yes. Uh, been wanting it. I have to say that little one end credit scene gave me more chemistry and excitement than maybe the most of the interactions in Crazy Rich Asians. As as enjoyable as that movie is overall, like definitely I was missing the sort of like romantic tension part of it. And yes. this means like, yeah, just from that one blip at the in the credits, I got so much. So this in particular, of course, I love Gemma Chan. Um love Harry Shum, want to see the hotness together. Uh, so yeah, I've been waiting for it. Please bring yeah. it. I wonder how they're going to, you guys read the, did you guys read the books, all three of them? No, because I just don't like the yeah, books. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. No, their story is like really insane. It involves like domestic abuse, like uh. violence and like stalking and like her husband goes like a little unhinged. Like it, it gets a little enoughy. Um, so I'm very interested to see how they're going to take that tone with the fairly light tone of Crazy Rich Asians mm-hmm. um, and no director announced yet. Mm, better be mm. a woman. Yeah, I mean, okay, so a couple of things. Okay, first of all, I do want this. And Han, that that 10 seconds that you mentioned, that's the reason why Harry Sam Jr. Was, was given third billing on that call. Yes! Right? Yes! <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> I'm so, I'm torn about this because, well, first of all, Gemma Chan's Astrid was her scenes were the best scenes in that film. So I want to see more of that. I know the Astrid Charlie story is kind of like a secondary storyline in the second book, right? The third book? In the second and third book, but it's like way better than the Nick and Rachel storyline. Because Nick and Rachel are like the straight, boring couple, which like all the craziness revolves around, which, mm. you know, I understand. But yeah, their their story is like yeah. very entertaining. Because um, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how my partner has explained it to me. But I guess they're kind of the second chances couple, right? Yeah, they're the second chances. Um, they're both like hot and like rich, and like Charlie's a good guy, but he wasn't good um, enough for her at the beginning, right? Or he wasn't good enough for her family. Yeah, mm. and you no, know, I'm hoping this time around, like now that. Crazy Rich Asians is a proven success and that Harry Shum Jr. is like a big name and Gemma Chan is like a fashion darling that they're going to like have an amazing budget for clothes or like mm-hmm. all the houses are just going to like let her borrow clothes so that she could be because yeah some of the outfits I'm sorry did not hit in the first movie they did what they had to do with the money they had but like come on guys give her some fucking amazing <laughs> I want to see Devil Wears Prada mm-hmm. level shit like let's do it I yeah, mean, Astrid I w- is supposed to be the super rich, super fashion icon. Yeah, right? and I hated her styling in the first movie. There's this, I think it was a very against character, actually, because mm-hmm. she dressed way too conservatively. Yeah. Like, the whole point is that Astrid is super fashion forward and super, like, like actually loves it and isn't doing it for the brand, but for the, like, art and design of it. But they put her in, like, the stuffiest clothes. Right. I, I see her as haute couture. She is the Met Gala of the Met Gala type people. You know, right. like, I, I feel like I was missing personality through her costuming. And so I'm hoping that we'll see that. Let's pull a Top Gun Maverick. Bigger, better. <laughs> yeah. More of the same, but better. Yep, yep, yep. It is weird that this is being announced when we don't even know. Has there been progress? I know they found a new writer for China Rich Girlfriend. Yes. But, you know, I think like they're all busy doing shit. 
and they'll probably shoot them back to back. But I'm just like, yeah, like you better hurry or like everyone's going to be like like 50 by the time this movie gets made. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know Asian don't raise it, but still, like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, looking forward to learning more about this film um, because this is probably the more interesting threads in the later books, um, which I agree with you, Han. The books are terribly, terribly written. But yeah, yeah, but kind of fun still. Still a fun time. I could not get through it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Han. What's our next story? Maybe I should try the audiobooks. Um, okay, so a very easy. <laughs> it's just as bad. You can't ver- fix bad prose. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, the only reason I say that is usually I listen to audiobooks while I do my walk, and so I can't get away from it because um, I'm committed to walking. Anyway, mm. so uh, something that you brought to my attention just today, even though it was announced like a couple of days ago, apparently, uh, Creamery season two it has a green light. Woo! Hells yeah. 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 You, you, uh, you said it. Do we want this? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I mean, besides the fact that we spent a whole episode just sort of like raving about this series, um, which is a comedy set in New Zealand where it's like Handmaid's Tale, but flip gender flipped where uh, the men, uh, there's a virus that takes out all the men. But then secretly we find out that certain men are still alive and they're being used for their reproductive they're you know. being milk for their cum. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes, yes. It's why it's called creamery. It's why Sorry. it's called creamery. Um, yes. But on top of it being like a cliffhanger for season one, and you know, of course, we need more. And it just was a hilarious show. I am also just curious, not to say everything revolves around what happens in America, but I am curious to see whether or not there is any inspiration from the shit show that we are having in America um, as far as uh, them carrying on the plot line when it comes to the gender flipped um, stuff. So um, would those, like to see what they do Kiwis with that. Those don't care about what's happening here. They're having fun making their own science fiction fantasies about matriarchal societies out there. But they did that, but they did that because it's a, it's definitely a, uh, a reflection of patriarchal society. So, you know, it's just yeah. funnier when it's like flipped. So that's why I was just <laughs> curious. Um, it's And also, yes, although I mentioned America, of course, there's a lot of other shit going on around the world. So just curious if they're going to do that. Um, but yeah, I we literally just got the information. There's like no other details. So I bet you even like there's not principal photography. They're, they had an image. So they probably just started, but I know nothing else. I mean, I, I bet their team is still in place. And yeah. the cool thing about Creamery and like a lot of productions, I guess, out there in New Zealand is that they're, it's government supported, right? They they yeah. have like a government grant that's helping pay, um, fund the film as well. Um, so I think it's just it's just cool to see public supported, cool genre shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, I like to think that maybe some of the popularity in America might have helped it along. Yeah, well, congrats to the Flat 3 team, um, JJ, Perlina, Ali, and um, Roseanne on securing their second season. And man, I cannot wait. And we're going to have to probably wait another year for it to come out in the States, but I am I am here for it. Yay. All right, our next story. Um, veteran actor James Hong, who you may know as that guy from all the films, <laughs> um, Big Trouble in China, um, Everything ever all at once. He was the voice of the panda's dad in Kung Fu Panda. The turtle panda, the turtle dad. Was he the turtle dad? I 
I thought I he was a duck the... dad. Oh, is he a duck? Sorry. Am I getting my animals mixed up? I really couldn't tell you. (laughs) If you've watched the movie over the last, what, 50 years, 60 years, you've seen James Hong in one form or another or heard him. He has a very iconic voice and even more iconic frame. I think he is. I don't know if they verified this yet, but I think he is has like the most credits ever of any actor. He's over 600. Yeah. Listed films. I, I don't remember if that's right or not, but I can believe it for sure because he's 93, first of all. Yeah. And he's yeah. been working forever. And that includes yeah. like all these minor TV shows and also the big ones, Man from Uncle Perry Mason. So it's like all the way back to like Hawaii Five-0 and the original yeah. and Bonanza. So it's like if you he's need a nation. runner, just remember that. <laughs> yes. Oh, and he was Cassandra's dad in Wayne's World too. Yes, yes. So yeah, he's been everywhere. So... This yeah. is, I overdue, well deserved props, James yeah. Hong. Props. So, do we want this? Yeah, and we, we need, need more. more. We need more. Yes, this is a good start. <laughs> so, okay, from what I understand about the Hollywood star getting process, it just takes money, right? It's money and yeah. Like do you an want another dirty secret? You mm-hmm. have to apply. You have to pay. The buy-in is ten k. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to pay for the upkeep of your own star per year. Yeah. So it's all PR stuff. And usually a studio will sponsor it as part of a press campaign. Yeah. So basically, it's a very successful version of that who's who list that everyone tries to get you to be on every like mm-hmm. every year. Right. The Forbes. Yeah. No, no. There's like there are companies yeah. who like print out mm-hmm. like a book of who's who. But yeah. you have to pay to get. Well, in you know, that you book. also pay to become Forbes thirty under thirty, right? Yeah, really. Yeah, it's all just, oh man, it's all just money. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's. I have to say, there are certain awards out there, journalism awards, that you have to pay to play. Not to say that you will get the award, but you still have to pay a membership in order to be considered. Um, I mean, and so some yeah. of those I do not get to apply for. <laughs> I mean, isn't for your consideration just all pay to play anyways? It's just awards are a scam, but yeah, for a scam, yeah. this is a very high profile scam and it makes you feel good because James Hong definitely deserves to be recognized for his decades. And let's be honest, those first probably 30 years, a lot of really bad parts, probably, right? A lot of just yeah. shitty bit parts where he plays like Fu Manchu characters. Yep, for sure. Um, his longevity in the career, I think, is amazing. Uh, just and his so energy, happy. man. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's in his nineties, and he looks very spry in everything, everywhere, all at once. That yeah. was a stunt double, probably. Right? He, well, he, he he was also very funny. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, good, good, good work. Well, congrats to Mr. Hong. Um, very well deserved honor. And you know, we needed something to celebrate this month, and it gave us a lot of joy to see the man. Um, dance at his own ceremony. Uh, Jess, what's our next story? Next story in the TV land, the reboot, se- reboot, yes, it's a reboot, sequel series of Quantum Leap mm. starring Raymond Lee from Top Gun 2 Maverick, though, you know, we don't really see him. He gets like maybe like two seconds of screen time, has been picked up two series at NBC. This, I think, is the first primetime drama broadcast drama that is gonna have an asian american <clears throat> actor at the top of the kashi for in a very long time i think like 25 or something years i think the first one was like martial law 
like in the 90s, like the late 90s. So awesome. Also, just as like a Scott Bakula quantum leap fan, mm-hmm. I need to know what happened mm-hmm. to Scott Bakula. He never made it back. So I believe that this is um somewhat related that they are doing like in it's it's a modern day, or at least we begin in the modern day, and Raymond Lee's character is doing extra experiments and then he gets in the same situation um as Dr. Sam Beckett. So do we want this? Yes. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> hell yes. yes. Hell yes. I love a quantum leap. And I just it being rebooted or sequelized or whatever you want to call it is exciting enough. But also to put a lead Asian. Are, are you kidding me? Yes, I'm very excited. I'm very. It's also such a cool like concept. Yeah. You basically have like various different kinds of genres in one show. Right. Like you can be in the Wild West. You can be a cowboy. Mm-hmm. You can be in the, um, you know, we could do a, maybe a future spacey episode. Uh, I am very interested in how they're going to handle the whole Asian part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah. you know, like I think the doctor who has mm-hmm. like also kind of had to discuss, but it's also like, why are we so held, held, you know, held up against this idea of like a person of color or a woman traveling back in time when not the traveling back in time part? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like it's I'm, fine. It's I'm gonna be curious. Fun. So Raymond is playing. He's not Sam Beckett, right? Sam Beckett no, is no, still lost different... in time. Yes, um, but <laughs> From he's what I understand. he's still doing the Sam Beckett thing where he's quantum leaping into other people. Yes. Hmm. Yes. That is interesting. Yeah, I'm it's so excited. It's fascinating. I I feel like since this is gonna take a while to make, make I need to like dip back into quantum leap and remind myself like that adventure. <laughs> Uh, you, have to, you probably have time for a whole rewatch, yeah. honestly. But you're right. Like, when it comes to Doctor Who, um, as we went along with various, um, well, new Doctor regenerations, but also new companions um, traveling back in time, they've had to explore different ways that their experiences are in history, but also how, uh, like, maybe the misconceptions we had of history. Um, so I would love to see, yes, more sort of nuance. Like, yes, it's still a broadcast show, so it probably won't get that deep. But, mm. you know, you can't ignore it. So exciting. Oh, I'm excited. Raymond's been in a lot of TV over the last few years, but I'm excited to see him him shine in a leading role. Um, I think it's long overdue. especially long since they overdue. It, especially since they um, took out all the scenes and talked to Maverick. He gets to do push-ups. <laughs> With or without a shirt? With a shirt. But like a tight shirt. But mm. I loved all the push-ups. This is like one of my favorite yeah. sequences. So all down for it. All right. Han, what's your next story? All right. Just because I keep wanting to call attention to everything everywhere all at once, this uh, news is somewhat adjacent. Basically, uh, Stephanie Hsu has joined the Disney Plus series American Born Chinese. Uh, she is reuniting, well, of sorts, not really. Uh, Michelle Yeoh and Kei Hui Kwan also are part of this series. Uh, just in case you're not quite aware, it's based on a graphic novel um, by Jean Luen Yang. Sorry if, about any of these names. Um, but basically, there's a kid named Jin Wang um, he is a teenager in high school. He's juggling his social life. He's juggling his ho- immigrant home life when he meets a foreign exchange student called Wei Chen. Uh, their worlds collide as Jin becomes entangled in a battle of Chinese mythological gods. So identity, culture, and family are themes throughout. Um, Stephanie 
gets to play a goddess of stones, which I believe is Shiji Nyangyang. Is that right? Yang Nyang. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but her modern day identity is someone who works at a jewelry shop and she has a magical dog. Uh, anyway, so do we want this? Yes. Yes. One of my favorite tropes is um, like irreverent gods. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just love when you meet like someone who's supposed to be like, a deity and like you know like all and holy and they're just like kind of crass and like what up <laughs> or like just a normal person I one mean, of my favorite <laughs> she was already jopu tupaki so playing mm-hmm. yes. unhinged god is already kind of in her repertoire yes, right exactly um exactly fun fact this tv series has been shooting in our backyard just where in rosemead and alhambra oh yeah how much can i just walk I want to say they just shot a Fossilman's too, just the other day. Mm. There was definitely they're being legit. (laughs) I Um, do love Fossilman's. I was considering getting some ice cream today. (laughs) You want to go get ice cream after this (laughs) month? Maybe. Some sunlight. The other reason why I'm excited about this is because I have to say, um, beyond. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I wasn't quite familiar with her work. She's been in a ton of shows, but you know, smaller roles. And she was, she did have a more recurring role in a Hulu series called The Path, which I did not watch because it was, I thought it would bum me out because it's about a cult. Um, so, fair, and her, fair. but her name was Joy in that also. Um, so I'm actually really excited because I saw a clip of someone um, had written this song, um, a musical, and she performed it at some sort of stand up night. And oh my fucking God, she's amazing. And so, like, yeah, you might have like realized that from everything everywhere all at once, but like I, she didn't get to play as comedic, and I feel like from seeing the her musical performance, I was just like she's great with tone and great with just being kind of over the top, and so I was just like, yeah, I think her being a goddess who has a dog and you know runs a jewelry shop, I was like, oh my god, I can totally feel this being like a fun <laughs> role for her. See, I recognized her from her AT&T commercial. Oh, God. I mean, she's been in a ton of stuff. Like, when I was looking at her credits, I was like, oh, yeah, she was in that, too. No, I don't remember that. Um, she was, was the foam finger girl. But I did watch Sit It Up, and, and apparently she's in that. And I was like, well, I've been meaning to rewatch that movie because I enjoy it. Um, so I might check that out. But no, oh, I don't. Is she the friend? She is, um, perhaps, Nervous Assistant Amber is what they get <laughs> the oh, credit. Okay. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe? I don't know. I have to yeah. see it again. Uh, well, I'm excited to see her star continue to rise. Especially, I didn't realize that both Kihui Kwan and mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh were attached to American Born Chinese as well. That's- yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just like, put them all in there. Just add more gods. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it is a little like Crazy Rich Asians, where you know it's just like the same people over and over again. They're fantastic, but it's also like, oh, there's still more people out there. Yeah, I, I'm I'm fine with them drafting off of this for right now. Um, but I do agree. Like, let's open it up. But, you know, we we got that with everything everywhere all at once. So uh, this will hopefully just continue. We're just like, OK, we need more Asians. What? You know, like, just go find them. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, that's mine. What's right. uh, what's next? Um, OK, so I do want to bring this up. Um <laughs> Because I, I'm in a Star Wars mood and they just had their big, I guess, Star Wars day at yeah. um, Disney. 
uh, where they released a lot of um, a lot of announcements uh, for upcoming projects, including the first look trailer for Andor, which um, not necessarily Asian American related, except for the fact that one Jess Jew is very very excited <laughs> about I, I'm Diego like Luna returning. Shivering, like I can't even like again. This is the same how I felt about the. Um, obi-wan like the creative christensen of it all like with the with the obi-wan like i i can't i i like literally need to make space for me to just spiral into a puddle of like feelings and i have not had that space in the last mm-hmm. week or so with all the world events so i'm <laughs> i'm very excited to check it out um i fucking love cassie and andor slash diego luna he is uh, like number one on my hall pass and <laughs> in my dream like DP team um, I love him so much <laughs> I love Cassie and Andrew so much my my murder space son I just want to make sure he's okay I mean I know he's not that's the most fucked up part of this shit <laughs> I know how it ends it's fucked mm-hmm. up so, yeah like, every episode is just gonna be like step 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 I mean <laughs> so what I'm excited about this series is a, it's completely removed from like a Skywalker, right? Unless they somehow turn no, Diego Luna into a the watch. One. They're gonna fucking put a Skywalker in there. I'm like, I, it would actually make a lot of sense to put Leia in there, but I don't know how they would do that. Probably be CG Leia, but mm-hmm. yeah. But so far, it does seem like a show that actually treats the act of rebellion as something that's violent and as something Shady. that yeah is in shades of gray, which is what Rogue One did, kind of showing. Like the day-to-day battle of a resistance, right? Especially in the face of fascism, which was what I think most of us liked about Rogue One. I just hope they keep it not Jedi. Yeah. Like, let the Obi-Wan be the Jedi show. Let Rogue One be the non-Jedi show because I get I think that's what made it very effective. Like what do all the people who have no super mitochondria power do mm-hmm. in the face of this great <laughs> evil and a bunch of people who do have weird cults and religious orders and powers and structure. Yeah. Like, what can you do? And the fact that, you know, resistance and rebellion is not about the heroes. It's about the people fighting battles day to day and, like, the little things you do to yeah. to resist. I mean, if they could just channel that energy of that first opening scene in Rogue One where he, like, kills his informant, informant <laughs> to protect the confidentiality of the order or of the of the resistance i was like that that's great that's 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 all you need to do keep that tone <laughs> i also don't know how they would fit it in but i know diego luna has always wanted to be like meet job of the hut so like maybe oh they God, can, maybe they can work that in so <laughs> yeah. give my baby whatever he wants just have him like squish him just he wants to touch jabba so just give yeah. my baby what he wants yeah he deserves it yeah all right um the, my actual Asian American um, <laughs> news story is uh, Imminent Collision, the production company founded by Hugh Ho, uh, Michael Lanco, and Randall Park, has inked a first look deal with Universal Television. Uh, under the deal, the, the banner will develop and produce projects for a variety of platforms with the studio. So, do we want this? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, more more behind the scenes power? Yes. Like, make those decisions. <laughs> Get them in there. So I want to ask you two, as people who are familiar with the biz, what exactly a first look deal is? The bigger company basically gets to say if they want to make the thing with that the smaller production company is pitching um, first. And if they don't want to do it, 
then they can bring it to someone else. Oh, so it's like first right of refusal type of thing. Yes. So in return, what do the smaller companies, do they get money or do they get? They get money, yeah. They get money to like, because a lot of times you're doing things on spec, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're not. So this is like basically paying them in the spec process. Yeah. It's a pretty good deal because it's sort of a dip situation, but also like because they can also refuse. Um, but it's in their best interest because it's also saying that, hey, we're backing you. You know, this they make it kind of more formal. Um, and to make this announcement uh, is a really good thing, <laughs> you know, to yeah. to show in the industry, like, hey, we are we are publicly saying that we're interested in what these yeah. guys are putting down. So, and a lot of times they will be like physically housed, like their mm-hmm. offices will be housed under the bigger banner. So, like, you know, J Lo's production company, Norikin is an NBC, like, is in an NBC pod. So her office is literally, like, on the universal ground. So there's also, it's, like, this weird thing where even in, like, 2021 or 2022, sorry, I was thinking 21st century, (laughs) but even in this century, like, there is still an advantage of close geographical, physical closeness. Um, So you're just closer and you can, like, go over and pop over and be like, J-Lo's people, we need to talk, you know, instead of being like, we can't get a hold of them so mm. a lot of times they'll house them there's also probably some structural things and some money things that keeps them tied pretty closely and yeah yeah and they get you know the creators get paid even if things don't necessarily get made yeah it, it's 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 a sweet deal because like instead of just blindly trying to pitch to everyone you automatically get something you know considered whether they say yes or not it automatically gets it and so i'm just like this is great yeah and I'm excited for this too because there's no one I trust more with this money than Randall, Hugh, and Michael, who've been kind of the vanguard for Asian American comedy for like the last few decades. You know, all three of them have literally decades of experience in the industry. It's a good deal for Universal because there's a lot of good stuff coming out of Imminent Collision, including the Lana Condor um, takeout. Um, uh, I think we covered this on the show too, but the action comedy starring Randall Park and Sterling K. Brown, which is the oh, odd yeah. couple that I want to see. Oh yeah, they're both great because not only are they both tremendous actors, but they're also like hilarious. They have great timing um, <laughs> and just acting chops. They're, something I want to look up, uh, sort of a not necessarily news, but something Randall Park adjacent is uh, he just got added for a sleep story on Calm. <laughs> oh. And I was listening and I was like, this is just making me too happy. I don't know if I can fall asleep to this. I, yeah, I don't know if you can fall asleep to Randall Park. I'm just like, I want to listen to Randall Park. But then, I mean, I eventually just stopped it because I was like, I was having insomnia. So I was like, I think I'm just more too, too just too like, hyped yeah, to for that. But, story. but you get back to your British men telling you sleep stories. Uh, yeah. But I, I probably will listen to it again because, um, uh, the thing is, they usually do make the story somewhat boring enough, <laughs> like despite having a good voice. But it was it's a it's set it's a kid story, so it's Camp Care Moose, um, and, which I was excited about. So maybe I'll try that again tonight. But yeah, I was so excited to see his face on my app. <laughs> <laughs> well, congrats to Imminent Collision, to Michael, <laughs> Randall, and Hugh for. Their first look deal. I'm looking forward to, yeah, excited to see what comes out of it. And on that note, that'll do it uh, for this edition of Do We Want This? And this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. 
Uh, Jess Hahn, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? Trash takes her on Twitter at Jess Jude Tweets. And I am at Anonymous. You can find me at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts. Um, check out our fellow Potluck Pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And I guess next week is the week where we finally talk about Fire Island in depth. Um, I'm excited Woo! to watch it over the weekend and to chat about all the shenanigans with you all. But until then, I'm wishing all a great June and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, a full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.